0: If you turn tonight again to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, and if you were with us last Thursday night, we had Adam's gift, that wonderful gift that we've all received of a sin nature. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) That, That through one man's sin, death entered into the world. And it's important to understanding the grace of God to lay hold of that. Because the grace of God is so much infinitely greater than the one man's sin that it puts it into perspective for us exactly how much God loves us. And it is to that which we now find ourselves in God's word. It's that place. It's thank you, Jesus, for the grace of God. You see, Because we're all sinners, we all need a Savior. And because there's only one name whereby men may be saved, you don't have to worry about trying to figure it out yourself. The Lord's made it really simple. And so tonight, we'll pick up in verse 15. And thank you, Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray tonight that your word would be alive and powerful. It would enter into our lives in a wonderful way, Lord, as we look at this incredible grace gift that's been given to us. Would you bless us with your presence by your spirit? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15 here in Romans 5. But the free gift is not like the offense. Now remember, this is an antithetical comparison that's being made between the passage just before this and the one we're in now. In other words, it's an analogy of opposites. And it's important for us to remember the opposite factor here because it really comes into view for us. For if by one man's offense many died, and I I want you to be very careful here, circle the many, and you're going to see it again in just a moment. The many died. Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. As you stop there for a moment, we're going to see the word all here very shortly. But there are two roads, there's two gates, there's two paths. You see, there's a way that leads unto righteousness, and there's a way that leads unto death. And no human being has ever, in the history of mankind, been forced down either road. The way has been available to everyone all the time, forever. And so here the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit riding through him, puts into perspective that choice by using a very specific word, many, and not using the word all. Because the choice is yours, which many you want to belong to. Do you want to belong to the group that rejects the grace gift, or do you want to belong to the group that accepts the grace gift? And it's in view tonight. The choice is yours. The choice has always been yours, has always been, all the way back to Adam to choose the road of faith. There's always been a choice. There's never been anyone that's been condemned by God. Everyone is condemned when he's drawn away by his own fleshly desires that gives birth to sin. That sin, unrepented of and unforgiven, is what takes your life eternally. But the choice is yours, just like it was for Adam. And it's a beautiful picture because people often think that God was unfair. Well, what did he do in the Old Testament? Adam didn't have a choice. Eve didn't have a choice. Abraham didn't have a choice. Yes, they had a choice. The way had not been completed yet, but they had the choice of faith. And I believe that many took it. And the grace gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment, which came from the one offense, resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Think about it for a second. One sin was enough to condemn all of mankind forever. And yet we've all added to that pile of sins. Amen? I don't know if any of you added today. I probably added today, at least in my mind. I got to. Anytime you talk to doctors and, and money's involved, sin immediately happens. <laughs> Not that doctors agree, it's just expensive. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Really? Seriously? So, in my mind, I wasn't as grateful as I should have been. Notice what it says next. For if one by one man's, the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. In other words, we're all subject to death. Y'all are going to croak at some point in time. Amen. Hasn't been an eternal being yet that's lived on in his flesh. It's only been two that have been taken prematurely. But they were certainly spiritually dead, spiritually dead when they left here. So death had reigned in them as well. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to, now notice, all men. In other words, everyone is subject to the judgment of their sin. The question is, how is it going to be judged? We're all going to be judged. Are you going to be judged on your own accord, by your own good works? Or are you going to be found judged in Christ Jesus as your Lord? We're all going to be judged. So you can be judged in grace or in your own works, in your own righteousness. So circle the all. And that would result in condemnation. Even so, through the one man's righteous act, the free gift came to, again, check it out, all men. And what's in view here is that everyone can still receive that gift. Have you ever wondered why the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Ephesus, said, God desires that all men be saved. You see, from God's side, he's made the provision for every last human being that has ever lived to be saved Jew, Gentile, anyone who's born in any land, any language, any race any creed, any color, God himself has never excluded anyone he's made the gift of grace available to, it says very clearly, all Every human being. It's more available in some cases to people like us who grew up in a country where being a Christian doesn't cost you much. It's not not likely that your door is going to be busted down this evening. If you go home and you you have a fish on the back of your car, you're probably not going to get shot at, but there are places in the world where that would absolutely get you killed. So here, we're blessed to have grace abundantly available. But it's always available by the Holy Spirit everywhere at all times. The Holy Spirit's work in the world, that gift comes to all men, resulting in justification of life. In other words, the justification of every person's life is to glorify God. It's available to everyone. This is an incredible picture because people often accuse God of being unfair. What does God do with Muslim nations? What does God do with aboriginal people? What does God do with those who are born, you know, in the deepest jungles of of the African continent? What does God do? your Bible says that the free gift of grace is available to everyone. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God has a responsibility to make sure that everyone can hear that message. Our responsibility is to carry that message to the uttermost parts of the world. So from our perspective, we have a job to do. From God's perspective, he has always been fair and he has always been just and always provided a way. So don't shortchange God. Don't make God into someone who's capricious and angry and must hate some people by saying simply because someone was born at a specific time in a specific place that God never loved them enough to save them. Don't ever get there. Because your Bible says otherwise. God's made that grace gift somehow. You ever wonder why Jesus said, if you do not Praise me, if you do not speak my name, the rocks, the hills, that these rocks will cry out. You ever wonder why he said that? Because there's more than one way for God to speak the grace message into people's lives. It's the reason that we see, especially in the Arab world right now, people receiving visions and dreams, and they actually will articulate the gospel message having never been visited by a single Christian. God can do that. And does. But it's based on the faith of the person who believes. Because salvation is always, as Paul's already said, come by faith. There is no other way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God in that sense. It's always come by faith. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Sinners. The reason it says many is because you can have that sinner nature taken care of. You're still a sinner. But as you're a made sinner, you can be also unmade a sinner because you can go to heaven. And also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So what's in view is your decision. What decision will you make? What will you do? And moreover, verse 20 says, the law entered that the offense might abound. And here's the good news. Here's the great news. Here's the amazing news in all of this. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That whatever the capacity of all of humankind has been to sin, and it's pretty extreme, amen? A couple examples. World War I, World War II, the Holocaust. Pretty extreme examples. The reign of the Khmer Rouge, Pol Pot, the, the incredible Armenian genocide. staggering events in human history, man's inhumanity to man and capacity to sin is pretty well known, isn't it? And yet, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. It hyperabounded. It was infinitely greater. God's grace is infinitely greater than man's capacity. The totality, get this, of all humankind to sin is exceeded by the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Because we have great capacity to sin, don't we? You can sin in your heart, you can sin in your mind, you can sin in your action. You can sin willfully, you can be enticed to sin. You have the world, you have the flesh, you have the devil against you, you have your own self. At times, that old nature that you got from Adam is actually begging you to sin, isn't it, at times? Happens to me every time I open a box of chocolate-covered macadamia nuts. The old man is inside the box going, Eat me! So that as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amazing passage, packed, full of truth tonight. So let's break this down. You see, there's five contrasting areas where these things are different, where Adam and Jesus are contrasted. And I want to give you two, they're very simple. The five things are they're contrasting in their effect. In other words, what they do in their extent, where they go, in their results, what they provide, in their essence, what do they boil down to, and in their energy, the ability they have to accomplish work. Amazing contrasts. The first one, the contrast in effectiveness. But the free gift, verse 15 says, is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Y- you see, by nature, all gifts are free, aren't they? I mean, I hope you don't charge your family members for their presents. You know, on your children's birthday, it's like, hey, you owe me 155 $155. No, they're by nature, a gift is free. It's something that someone else purchases and then gives to another person. They're free. And so what's in picture here, this free gift can actually, it's actually the Greek word charisma, and what it actually means is a grace gift. It's charis as a gift. It's grace as a gift. God through Jesus has given us a grace gift. Adam also gave us a gift. Thank you, Adam. Death. A sin nature. So what's in contrast here is the effect. Adam gave us a gift, but Jesus gave us a greater gift. An infinitely greater gift. In going to the cross, Jesus' supreme act of obedience to his Father being wholly acceptable to God to pay for your sins, every sin that will ever be committed by everyone in this room, and every sin that has ever been committed, from Adam to the very last person who sets foot on this earth before the Lord comes. That's how great that gift is. You see, Adam, in a sense, his sin put us in a static state of all being sinners. But Jesus took us from that static state and put us into an eternal state with his grace gift. He went from something that can be temporary, in other words, you're going to die, and you're going to live in sin, to something that is eternal, eternal life, abundant life, abounding life. And so their effect is completely opposite ends of the spectrum in that sense. And sometimes we treat treat the grace of God like it's something you just kind of get a little dab of. Like a little dab of grace. No, you are bathed in grace. You are immersed in grace. Whatever your capacity is to sin, God's grace is so infinitely much greater that there is no chance that you could out-sin the grace of God. Do you understand? Now multiply times the current nearly 7 billion people on the planet Earth. And then take that and multiply it times times past every human being and times future every human being. The grace of God is sufficient for all those sins. Every last one of them. In other words, what Adam messed up, Jesus radically fixed up. Amen? You see, because all men without exception bear the nature of Adam, the mark of sin. We are all without exception under the sentence of death. But here's the good news. All men without exception can have that mark washed away. And then every other thing that you will ever do afterwards is also taken care of. So though it would take one sin to cause you to perish eternally, No amount of sin, once you're saved, enables you to lose or throw away what Christ has done because the grace is infinitely greater than all of your sin. That's why the works of the flesh can save no one. Do you see it? You see, part of our problem is is we look at the grace of God like it's something that's almost minute in our lives, If you do not understand the grace of God, then you don't understand the abundant life that God has given you through Jesus Christ. Because it is his unmerited favor that blots out not just the original sin that you had before you came to Christ, but every compounding sin from the moment you said yes to Jesus until you take your last breath. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah, because if you take any of the, you get saved, and let's say you're one of those people that believes, well, if I sin, you know, like, you're driving down the freeway, and here we are, you know what we do, and you you see your cell phone go off, because you have one of those things on your dash, I got one of those, you know, and I leave my flap open so I can see it, and somebody texted me, and just for a moment, you do exactly what you're not supposed to do, and you reach over, and you're going to hit, I want to read this and in that moment you veer and there it is the front end of a Peterbilt also doing freeway speed and you have 2.7 nanoseconds to say something to God and it doesn't work out well you pick the wrong words Next thing you know, the truck is passing through your car. And you become one with the wreckage. And you're now standing in the presence of God. I was doing so good, Lord, until like two nanoseconds before I died. I pray you're not one of those people that thinks the Lord is going to go, sorry, depart, for I never knew you. God's grace is sufficient for that moment of failure, even to the time of death. Praise God. Amen? The effect of His grace is monumental. The transgression, the Greek word that's used there, has the basic meaning of simply deviating from the path. you understand that? You, you see a transgression, we call it you know, a sin or maybe a weakness. A transgression is deviating from the path. Anybody ever... You know, if you're if you're a hiker like our family, we we we're backpackers and hikers. We love to go. You know, every once in a while, when you get down towards the end of a trail, and there's switchbacks in there, and we all know the Leave No Trace hiking policies. You don't cut switchbacks, but there's only eight left, and poof, straight down, and it leaves tears up the trail and causes erosion. You know better. But you just see the burger at the end of the trail. Oh hallelujah that it was a momentary weakness that had to do with meat on a bun. But his grace is greater than your weakness for burgers. Hallelujah. You you went off the path. That's all you did wasn't like your whole life was lined up. You know, I'm just going to be a trail cutter for the rest of my days. And anytime there's something to be gained, I'm going to take a shortcut. Most of us don't think that way, but there are times when we sure take shortcuts, amen? Maybe you take shortcuts with the truth. Maybe you take shortcuts with where your eyes go. Maybe you take shortcuts in your mind. Maybe you take shortcuts with how you think about people. You take shortcuts, you deviate from the path. You're probably still doing some of that even as a believer, aren't you? Hallelujah for the effect of the grace of God. Amen? So, the contrast there in the effectiveness the sin of Adam brought death. Christ's death brings life and it brings eternal life. And that eternal life is, guess what? Eternal. It's not temporary. You see, I feel sorry for people that believe the grace of God is a temporary thing. If the grace of God is not permanent, we are in trouble. Because I can figure out how to work around the grace of God. And so can you. But the effect of Adam's sin comes into view when you see the effect of God's grace through Christ Jesus. How about the extent? You you see, sometimes we think of... Just the effect, but the extent, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For there verse 16 says, on the one hand the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation but on the other hand the free gift arose from the many transgressions resulting in justification. Do you see it? Adam only sinned once. Now, I'm pretty sure that he also sinned after he sinned the one time, but the one time was actually enough. The one time was all it took to mess up his relationship with God. And so the extent of God's grace, the extent of Christ's justification, is so much greater than the condemnation that we have through Adam. Because on one hand... If all you ever did, think of this for a second, this is craziness. If all you ever did was somehow you could limit yourself to one step off of the path one time. Can any of you in here actually imagine doing that? I personally cannot. If I set out to do it today, I'm telling you, it's an impossibility in my life. I would like to believe that because of the power of Christ in me that I have the capacity to do do that, but I know me. I'd figure out some way. It'd probably be pride would be the first thing that would get me. I'd be like, I'm on the path, I'm on the path, and then trip and I'd fall over, and I'd be off the path. You see, so don't get on Adam's case too bad because the one sin you would have done too and then another one, and another one, and another one. So the one sin, the extent of it, God says, look, this is going to be such an issue for mankind, I have to make the extent of my grace great enough to take care of all of the sins for all people of all time. So greater, maybe even more amazing and incomprehensible is this is this heartening fact that look we we're, we're, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but He has made us alive. This this heartening thing that comes to us, these practical truths that look that one sin would have killed me too, but because of God's great grace, all that junk that we've all done cumulative. God's hatred, God's hatred. For sin, think of this for a second, is so monumental that for one sin, Adam died. Think of it. That's how much God hates sin. Now look how much love he has for us as sinners. That even though we are all sinners... And we all sin, and we know that one sin was enough for him to say, Adam, you are going to croak. You're going to die. He has applied even greater grace in that we can all live. Infinitely greater grace than the one man's transgression. So the extent is also polar opposites. From one to infinity, check it out. From one sin to unlimited capacity of all humankind to sin. And God's grace spans that gap, that chasm. And let me give you a little secret. That chasm widens every day. In your life, in my life, in the life of all humankind. There is also an immense contrast in the results Remember that Adam's one act of sin brought the reign of death. I, I, find, I was reading an uh, interesting art, article on Scientology today. As I'm reading this article, whether you know it or not, L. Ron Hubbard actually has two houses that are fully stocked, provisioned so that when he steps back from his place that he's being renewed in his mind that he can come back to a fully functioning home. So he's got these two houses. One of them's in Hemet. The other one is in Creston. And and they staffed people in them. The fridge is emptied weekly. They put new food in it. And get this. uh, This isn't dumb. I don't know what is. It's stocked with cool cigarettes because that's what he liked to smoke before he croaked. I'm kind of thinking there's something messed up with all this. But nonetheless, my point is this. People want to live here forever. Why in the world would you ever want to do that? Amen. Now, living there forever, different story. But the result is, even if you could live, for, live here forever, we haven't exactly been kind to our planet. The smog that we have here in L.A., you want to know where a vast majority of it comes from? China. China it blows across the entire Pacific Ocean and reaches the California coast. A vast majority of what we see here isn't even generated here. We've reduced carbon emissions by almost 30% in the United States. So we have other countries' smog. There's a giant trash pit out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean called the Pacific Goyer. 1,500 miles long. Little tiny chunks of our trash. It spans a size that's almost the size of the United States of America. We haven't been kind. Who wants to live here? The result... Is this. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I'll take eternal life, thank you. You, you see the results. Through Adam we die. Through Adam we have a limited life expectancy. Through Adam, Scripture says, seventy are the number of the years of man in eighty if by reason of strength. You know what's an interesting fact? The average life expectancy of both men and women when you average them is between 70 and 80 years old still to this day. And we, we kind of well, you know, we could just live forever. In this? I don't think so. I need new knees. I can't sneak up on anybody because of the noise my ankles make. (laughs) You know, I creep down the hallway, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Look, the effect is through Adam we're all going to die and through Christ we're going to live eternally in an eternal state, in new bodies fitted for the (laughs) heavens. Hallelujah. And just in case you missed the good stuff here on earth, we get to come back with him to rule and reign for a thousand years and live the same length of lives that the oldest people ever recorded, Methuselah and the gang, lived. We get to live here for a thousand years. So get off God's case. People always look at God like, you know, just, you know, let the earth get so messed. No, he'll take care of that. It's called eternal life. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. Even the effect of mankind's sin, because Paul's going to go on to say that even the earth groans waiting for his glorious appearing. And it does. We've jacked up the earth, it's a mess. Most of the rivers on the planet are so polluted you can't actually drink out of them anymore. The reason I carry a water purifier into the high Sierras you used to be able to stick your Sierra cup in there and drink right out of the streams. Now you do that, you're going to have a nice case of Giardia. (laughs) Not a good thing, by the way. You see the results, the one-dimensional result of Adam's wicked act is contrasted with the multi-dimensional, the heavenly dimension of Christ's gift to us of eternal life. There's a contrast in its essence. As you look at these two verses, both 18 and 19, and so then, as through the one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. You have the capacity to be saved, but you have to ask for it. It's available to everyone, and it's free, but you have to take the grace gift. That's why Jesus said it is enough that you believe. That's why Jesus said Jesus said you must be born again. Why? Because being born into Adam gets you born into the realm of death. You must be born again into life. That's your choice. So if you want that life you have to be born again. So the essence of it You have a picture of transgression versus what and disobedience and the picture of the righteousness and the obedience. So you can have what disobedience gives you or you can have what obedience gives you. It's the essence. That's all it is. It's obedience on our part to say yes to the grace of God. I hear the gospel message and I say, you know what? I am a sinner and I need a savior and I'm accepting the essence of that offer that is made to me. And even so, through the one act of the righteous that resulted in justification to all men, for as though the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. And again, you see the picture. So the choice is yours. Not everyone throughout all time so for the universalist people, those who, those who look at God and they say, well, you know, if God is a God of love, then certainly he must just simply save everybody. And it really doesn't matter all this stuff about Jesus. There are people, it's called a universalist view. That in the end, God just saves everyone. Then this passage is a lie. Because it says many, it doesn't say all. It doesn't intend all. And when it says many, it means those who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It means those who will receive that grace gift, that abounding grace. You you see, it's also a contrast in that essence. What God offers, he offers to everyone. But you have to receive the offer. You have to say, yes, I want that. So you can have temporal, which is here. Or you can have eternal, which is there, and ultimately'll be everywhere. Jesus was obedient to that end, to provide that for us. Think about it. When Jesus came to this earth, and I'm going to dramatize it a little bit can you imagine Jesus who is a child, he's an infant? He's the son of God, but he's born to Mary, so he's still God while he's in the manger. And we'll make it our Americanized manger. It's a little box. And he's all snuggie there, in his snuggie. He's got his infant pampers on. And Jesus is sitting there, but he is still God. And he looks around... He says, man, compared to heaven, this place is a mess. Looks up to heaven, he says, dad, why'd you send me here? You know, couldn't you have sent one of the angels to take care of this or something? Jesus stayed in that manger. He got with his mom and rode on a donkey Back from Bethlehem to Nazareth, some 65 miles over dirt roads, through a territory known to be filled with robbers along the outskirts of Jerusalem, along part of the Jericho Road, down into the canyon, then back up to the little tiny hamlet of Nazareth, up above the mountains of the Sea of Galilee... And the whole time Jesus is being obedient to God the Father's plan because there is no other way for us to be saved save God himself dying for us. That essence. It's the essence of obedience. Christ being God was obedient to God the Father. And so all it takes for us is obedience to what He did. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's own Son. And He died on Calvary's cross. He was put into a grave. That grave could not hold Him. And He rose three days later, and He lives forevermore. I have to be obedient to that message. Just like Jesus was obedient to Father God. And finally a contrast in energy. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. Now, there are pictures of me in places that I should not be. Just saying, so if you ever see them, don't be surprised. But they're usually places like the edges of cliffs, And there are signs that say, stay back, dangerous cliff. And there's usually a picture of a little dude kind of dying as he goes over the edge. You've probably seen those. Well, there's pictures of me behind those where you're not supposed to be. And here's why. I naturally assume in my mind that if there's a sign out there that says that, there has got to be something cool on the other side. Just the way I'm wired. Just saying. Anybody else in here like that? If you're a guy, you're probably like that, right? You know? That's, you ever wondered why we all speed? Y'all speed. I got tailgated on the way to church by somebody from church today. And they went around, they waved at me. Hi, Pastor Jeff. I'm like, dude, you're tailgating me for like the last 20 minutes. The speed limit signs up there. We pay no attention to it. Except that. We go faster than whatever it says. It's like my little sign. You see, the sign is good. The sign is there to keep Jeff from dying. The person that put it up there knew that there was a cliff. That cliff is unstable. And if I go out there and stand on the edge of the cliff, there's a good chance I'm going to meet Mr. Rocks at the bottom. So the sign is good. But you know the crazy thing? It stirs up something inside of me. And so I look at the sign and I automatically think, well, that dude's trying to keep me from seeing something cool. So I go on the other side of the sign to see if whatever he's hiding from me is worth seeing. Because that's the only reason that sign could be there. Can I tell you that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden? God puts an angel says, stay away from this tree eventually. But God gives a warning sign. He says, you can eat of any tree in the garden except from the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that one. It's bad for you. Well, that must be really tasty. So I'm going to go. I'm Eve now, walking over there. "Mm, That looks nice, pleasing to the eye, pleasant to the taste. So you know what? That sneaky God, he gave us a rule trying to keep a special tree for himself. It's exactly what this passage tells us that we are all like that. And so, this energy that exists is found, pictured in our gravitation towards sin. The way we view these types of things. The law came that in transgression might increase, but where sin increased. Because see, when you tell me no, I think yes. It's amazing to me. When you're in children's ministry, you get some wacky questions. And they usually fall along the lines, kind of like, well, how far can I go until it's actually sin?" I've been asked how many beers can you drink? Uh, how many times can you be intimate with someone and it actually be called fornication? Serious <laughs> is a heart attack. Is it once or is it twice? Knows God, you know, not, just overlook the first three times. You know, if I only steal because I'm hungry, is it okay? As long as I lie for the right reason, isn't that okay? Isn't it nuts how much capacity we have to know exactly what we are not supposed to do and it actually drives us towards doing it? Notice what it says. Contrast. But where that sin increased, there's things in this world that I never thought I would see in my lifetime that are sin. Never. Never did I ever think we'd get to where we are in our capacity now to engage in the wrong things. But where that sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, the amount of sin as it increases, God's level of grace goes up. That, as sin reigned in death, and it still does in us. We're all going to die. We all have the capacity And Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, picture this, you, you see, because Paul knew what was going to happen. This whole grace thing, you see, the legalist, the person who's a sign follower, I, I personally... Don't quite get that, but there are people, like they see the sign, and they stand right next, have you ever had this? Stay back. (laughs) They are the Holy Spirit for the rest of us, right? Don't come near it. We We were at Hot Creek up by Mammoth one time, and honestly, I've been going there and swimming in those hot springs since I was 10 years old, and you now can't go in there. There's like barbed wire, there's guard towers, there's people with guns. It's like if you put your toe in the water, like there's electronic sensors that sense your toe in the water, and people come out and mob you and throw you down on the ground and handcuff you and haul you away because you got mineral water on your toe. There are people like that. They're just kind of prone to say, I am helping the Lord, and I am playing Holy Spirit for you. Sometimes they're found on the freeway driving Priuses. You know what I'm saying? If you have a Prius, forgive me. But you know what I'm saying? I'm doing 55. Can't you see I want to sin? Let me go. And they're always in the fast track lane, right? They're the Holy Spirit people. But here's what happens. You see, God's abounding grace. You, Paul knew he was going to be accused of being a super sinner. We know it as antinomianism. Anti meaning against, nomos meaning law. That Oh, are you, Jeff, against the law? No, I'm not against the law. I just like danger. I, I kind of am wired that way. Not excusing it, that sometimes I'm actually, Connie reminds me, Jeff, you're a pastor. If someone sees you over there and we get a picture of it, it's going to be on the website. Go, thank you, Holy Spirit lady. (laughs) Joy killer. But see, Paul knew this would happen. In chapter seven, he's actually going to write, "The law is holy; the commandment holy. It's righteousness, good. The law is good. It's the warning sign. But we have to volitionally choose to stay on the right side of the sign. Otherwise, the sign just entices us. The sign just gets our trespassing juices going." And so the law is that corollary element of God's plan of redemption. It's the other side. And here's what it does. It makes me understand fully that I'm still a sinner. That I absolutely need a Savior. That as long as I'm on this earth in this body, I'm going to be attracted to cliffs. I'm going to despise doing 55. That's why I love those roads up there in southern Utah. 85 miles an hour. <laughs> the problem is I drag some of that Utah 85 back into California. You're going to be losing a car. But you see, God got it right as he wrote through Paul. Those signs kind of get me thinking about, Wow there's still part of me that needs some adjustment. There's still part of me that needs the super grace of God. Where that sin increased, where the signs went up more prevalently, God's grace abounds to our lives. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? You you see, where sin increased, grace abounded or hyper-abounded. It super-abounded all the more. Greater than all my sins is the great grace of God. Greater than my capacity to look at warning signs and try and figure out why they should not be there. Because I do that. If you ever get a chance and you're a devil's post pile and you start off there at the Reds Meadow Trailhead and you walk down towards Rainbow Falls, all along there are these signs. And they're just like that one I was telling you about. And it actually don't go in the water, don't go near. So what do I do? I go in the water. I see how dangerous can it be? I mean, this was put up, obviously, by people who are not as talented as I am. They're not as good as swimmers. I've been a mountaineer most of my life. I can handle this. Well, you know, pictures of naked women don't bother me. A couple more drinks, really, you know, I'm good with it. You know, it's not that big a joint. It's not actually cheating when you rob the government on your taxes. You following with me? You tracking with me? You see, you'll come up with your reasons for the things that you do and praise God where your sin abounds, His grace abounds all the more. Amen? Amen? That's that great grace. And that's why we say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together? And I want to take just a moment tonight. I've shared the gospel with you. And I would be horrendously remiss... To not offer tonight an opportunity for anyone who's here to receive that great grace, to invite Jesus Christ into your life. And so I'm going to ask you now to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And it's really just to give people an opportunity to begin to cry out to the Lord. But it's a simple process. Scripture actually says to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. Here's his name, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. His name is Jehovah. His name is Jesus. God is our salvation. And so tonight, Jesus Christ, God's own Son, died on Calvary's cross to set you free from sin. And if you believe on his name, you'll be saved. And so tonight, if you're here, every eye closed, please, heads bowed. It's a moment just to seek the Lord. Christians, be praying for those who maybe are here tonight that don't know the Lord. If you're here tonight, you want to know Jesus. You want to receive that grace gift. I'm going to ask you to just simply slip your hand up right where you're at. And I want to pray with you to receive Christ tonight. Is there anyone at all here tonight that does not know Jesus? I see that hand. Praise the Lord. I see that hand as well. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else, don't don't be ashamed and don't be afraid. God loves you. He sent Jesus into this world to die for you. To prove that love. Anyone else? Another moment or two. Those of you that have raised your hands tonight, go ahead and put your hands down. Would you pray with me just quietly in your heart these words? Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my life and to forgive my sin. And to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I received that grace gift tonight. And I'm grateful for it. I pray that you would write my name in the Lamb's book of life. And Lord, I'm asking you to be what I need to be free from sin. Lord, as you've forgiven me, I want to walk as you want me to walk. So help me to walk in newness of life. thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to God's family.